The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I've been practicing as a geotechnical engineer for over 17 and a half years. And in addition to practicing engineering, I enjoy mentoring young engineers and first-generation college students. I've focused on helping to increase the number of pre-college students that are interested in STEAM majors and fields. By STEAM, I mean science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, which I may sometimes refer to as the Geopod, I'll be talking with Dr. Menzer Pelevan, PhD, PE. She's a geotechnical engineer with a specialization in seismic hazards and resiliency. Menzer knows four languages, has a PhD, she spent two years working in New York City, and she's featured in a movie, and she's now working at Jacobs in Seattle. And in this episode, we have the privilege to talk with this successful engineer about earthquake engineering, STEM, STEAM, and diversity and inclusion in the engineering world. Before I introduce our guests, the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is indeed a free show, and our sponsors help us to keep it as a free show, so please support them if you can. Now, I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. We have two. First, we have Arrow Aggregates of North America. Arrow Aggregates is the first vertically integrated manufacturer of ultra-lightweight foamed glass aggregate in North America made from 100% recycled glass. This sustainable aggregate has bulk densities that are 80 to 90% lower than traditional film. It's free draining and non-reactive and has a high friction angle. If your project site is challenged by resiliency concerns, raising grades over soft soils, sensitive utilities or structures, or the need to reduce lateral loads, foamed glass aggregate can often accelerate construction, reduce project costs, and offer green credits for lead and envision programs. Visit www.arrowaggregates.com to learn about this unique construction material. That's www.aero. A-G-G-R-E-G-A-T-E-S dot com. And now I'd like to recognize our other sponsor for today's program, that being Menard Group USA. Do you have projects where you're faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally, providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites of problematic soils. Menard's techniques include control modulus columns, wick drains, earthquake drains, vibro-stone columns, dynamic compaction, rapid impact compaction, and soil mixing. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, processing areas, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, containment structures, and platforms. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches, such as removal and replacement, or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs 
for wide ranges of soil conditions, structural types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard Group USA or for help with your next project, please visit www.menardgroupusa.com. That's www.menardgroupusa.com. Now I'd like to formally introduce you to our guest, Menzer Pelevan, PhD, PE. Dr. Menzer Pelevan, PE, is an aspiring and accomplished leader who has distinguished herself as one of the main influencers in the civil engineering industry. Her aptitude and dedication to the engineering profession have been recognized through the important leadership roles she has been appointed with despite her young age. As a leader, Menzer has been spearheading the change in the engineering industry by promoting the crucial role that engineers play in shaping the future and changing the world, and by exemplifying a strong and dynamic role model to inspire and empower the next generations, especially women, in engineering. Menzer is a geotechnical engineer with a specialization in seismic hazards and resiliency. She has been actively involved in pioneering research projects that advance the state of art and state of practice of geotechnical earthquake engineering in collaboration with several research institutes. She is an author for several journal and conference publications, in addition to serving as a reviewer for several journals. Menzer is the facilitator of the Earthquake Engineering Community of Practice for Americas at Jacobs, and she is the deputy team leader of the geotechnical group in the Seattle office. As an internationally recognized engineer with an outstanding technical background, Menzer actively uses her expertise and engineering skills in delivering projects, focusing on and maintaining high technical capability and quality. She is actively involved within the industry and professional organizations, serving at several leadership positions. Her achievements and impact within the industry have been recognized by prestigious awards. The 2016 ASCE New Faces of Civil Engineering and 2017 ASCE President's Medal, 2019 Middle East Technical University Recognition Award, 2020 Engineering News Record National Top 20 Under 40. And with that, let's jump right into our conversation with Menzer. All right, welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. And we have with us today Menzer. Menzer, welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. We're honored to have you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Jared. Well, Menzer, we already introduced you on the show. We, we shared your bio. But, you know, in your own words, can you share with our listeners a little bit more about what it's like? What do you do over at Jacobs? What's your daily day look like for you? My day-to-day changes a lot. So just to give a little bit background, Jacobs is a global um, engineering solutions firm. Actually, we're going through this big transformation that brings us to be a more solutions firm. And the things that I do within Jacobs changes with respect to that too. And that's one of the favorite parts that I like working there. I'm a geotechnical engineer. I'm based in Seattle, Washington. 
I specialize in earthquake engineering, so that's what I had my PhD in and did all those research in, but that doesn't mean that that's not the only thing that I do. However, being in Seattle in a very seismically active area, of course, helps because every project has a seismic component. One of the projects that I'm working now is the seismic vulnerability analysis and also the seismic risk assessment and obviously upgrades for a existing pump house. It's a 50-year-old pump house. We started on this project, I think, two years ago. We did initial explorations and we found that the soils are vulnerable to liquefaction. And we are now in the second phase of this project where we are actually running a almost half a million dollar exploration program where we are doing overwater explorations, explorations inside the pump house for the foundation slab and, you know, all those things. It's very exciting You the to be able to find and like what it was assumed to be based on 1969 uh, drawings and the data there and like what it compares to what we know now is fascinating to me. So that's one of the projects that I work on. But I also help with a lot of project management and the quality assurance and quality management for projects. There is an eyeline project, which is a rapid transit, uh, rapid ride in Seattle. So uh, instead of subways it is like pretty much like a bus that is like going through in a fast track so we are doing a quality assessment management plan for that one it is a significantly big project it's around 160 million dollar project so there is another one which we are doing construction management for waterfront seattle so i'm doing a quality management for that one but the one that i'm most interested in is our company is really taking this what we are going through right now, the pandemic, very carefully and very seriously. And we are looking into the ways that we learn from it. We and Jacobs understand that we are not going back to our old ways and we are trying to find how the future of work will be looking like. So there is a core team uh, that works on this future of work initiative. It is not just a real estate, but it's combining, you know, the culture of the company, how our culture is going to change, how our tools are going to change to support how our real estate and the places we're going to change. So that is also a very exciting um, project. So I'm doing a lot of things. And when you think about geotechnical engineering, I mean, what sparked your interest? Like, how did you first get involved, wanting to be a geotech? I'm from Turkey, uh, and then there was a magnitude 7.2 earthquake in 1999 that hit Turkey. It lasted less than a minute, 45 seconds only. And within 45 seconds, official records say 17,000, but many believe it's more on around 35 to 40,000 people lost their lives. More than 125,000 people were injured. More than 250,000 left homeless. That's less than a minute. That's less than a minute. 45 seconds. Less than a minute. 45 seconds. And that shows how important as our basic industry is for the livelihood of everyone. And that I will come to that point another time. So what happened is I, my family did not get affected. We were living around 300 miles away from the epicenter. But that epicenter is where my mother spent... A, good amount of her teenage years. So she was living there actually when she was a teenager. Anyhow, uh, we spent the night at outside because I remember my mother coming and like waking me up and saying like, leave everything, you're just getting out. It was that strong that it was, the worst part is at, at 3 a.m. in the morning. So everybody is, so your reaction time is much different. We spent the night in the car 
And uh, I just remember very vividly the next morning because you're trying to make sense of what is happening. You know that you're living in an earthquake-prone region, similar to what is going on in Seattle, right? People know that we are living in an earthquake-prone region and we're doing much better thing, like the much better educational giving educational information about what to do during an earthquake. In Turkey at the time, nobody knew. Like, really, there was no education around it. So we go back. You're listening to the radio over the night, and in the morning when we, I mean, it was obviously safe to go back. We go back in, and you turn on the TV, and you see, like, six blocks along the coast went into the sea. Like, it's just, it disappeared. You see the aerial views? The whole city is gone. Still gives me goosebumps. It's just like a very... That image, and it's just like, why is this happening? Like, I mean, you know why it is happening because there was no regulation. So, you know, if you have a store on the corner and somehow you got rich, you would buy an air like a lens and deal with a contractor who might not have any experience or understanding of like building in an earthquake from region. When that happens, you lose lives. So, that is like the part of it. But there is a second portion of why I became a civil engineer. The part is. Turkey was a growing country, influent country, and still is. But when I was a kid, when you look around, all the decision makers, they would have tie with the construction industries. And when I was younger, I just wanted to make a change. I wanted to be one of those decision makers. Like I want to be the person who is influencing these decisions. And not just maybe the construction industry, but that's what I liked since I was a little girl. And I was lucky, though. One thing that is interesting that was asked to me after I aired in Dream Big. They're just like, what, Mazar, were there any women like that you see that I could be them? I'm just like, no. And then they asked, like, you didn't think that all them all being, you know, males, you didn't change anything like the person? I'm just like, no. Never even occurred to me, like, because I didn't look at it that way. Oh, they're all men, and I wouldn't be able to be like them because I'm a woman did not even cross my mind when I was a young kid. Maybe if it did, if I was growing up in a, maybe like a family that would have embedded that thought into my brain, maybe I wouldn't be a civil engineer today. Menzer, you've been involved in promoting the crucial role that engineers play in shaping the future and changing the world. In your opinion, what does the future of work for geotechnical engineers look like? And what can we expect to see changing soon? One of the things that we need to be really ready is what type of skills are we going to need? So our industry, because it's experience-driven, has not been adopting the advances in the tech in technology as much as what has been happening in the other industries. In my opinion, we were in it, we stayed a little bit behind all those advancements, and those advancements are going to catch up, and there are going to be disruptors. If we, as geotechnical engineers and as geotechnical engineering firms, want to stay on top of it and want to keep on what we are doing, we need to catch up. And what is that? So we need to realize that there is going to be automation. We are not going to be doing the things as the way that we are doing before. It's just like, you know, we need to be bringing those technologies in. And the ways of that we are training our new engineers will be different. We are going to be needing people who are not just like looking up the code and like writing those equations into Excel. It's we're going to need them. I mean, it sometimes drives me nuts. Like it's just like... Those are easily automated things. So we need to be looking into 
the place. And there, if we don't do it, there's going to be some company that is coming up just similar to what Tesla did to automation industry, right? Somebody's going to come up and does it in an all automated way, more efficient than you are. And if we are not really training our people for the critical thinking, problem solving, and really in the emotional intelligence sides of it, because it is going to be a part of like how you manage other human and then how you are actually like bringing these solutions and innovation into the company. So I think we need to be starting to change these stereotypes within the company. And the reason why it may, I, in my opinion, it's been the delay is I think our industry lacks a little bit of generational diversity in the areas where the decisions are being made. And, you know, the way that you did the work experience is amazingly valuable. Geotechnical engineering is obviously an experience-driven business. On the other sides of it, I think one of the main challenges is how are we going to attract the talent if we do not keep up the, what we offer, if we do not keep up to bring the flexibility to our workers and to understand the needs and desires of the incoming generation. So like, for example, for Gen Z, all the research shows that they want to wear several different hats and they want to grow laterally. Whereas if we look at our geotechnical industry, it is a more of a vertical grow rather than lateral growth. So how can we bring those in? And maybe these are not, I mean, there is a part that is in the way that we solve the problems, but there is a part in the way that we attract the people. If we don't attract the people, who's going to do all that work? Why are we use, losing the best talent? And also that comes into the attracting to diverse talent, right? And like bringing that diversity in to our geotechnical profession. When we walk into Geo Congress or any other geotechnical engineering conference, if everybody just looks like us, there is a problem. But it is also like if everybody looks different, but we only bring in the people who thinks like us because diversity is more than just the way we look, it's also bringing the thought diversity and allowing that by being inclusive. If we want to be problem solvers and we want to, you know, solve these challenges that we've never faced before, we need to be able to think differently. And if we're all thinking the same, we're probably not going to get the best solutions. Really good points. Now, with the current pandemic, I have to imagine that there's lessons that we learn. And when you were talking about the future of work, what are some of the lessons we learn from this pandemic? And how does that impact the future of work, Minzer? One of the foremost is that we are agile, we are flexible. It was in my company, it was I know in our industry that we thought we have to be in the office to be able to do this work. But that was doing, I just, if I were to go and tell, uh, you know, a senior engineer, say that, like, you know, I want to work from home for X amount of time, like for these many months, they would have thought that I'm not going to be productive. I'm not going to be able to do my work. And it's just like what it turned out to is like in Jacob, 55,000 people, because this was global, almost 95% went into remote working. And we're still remote working in so many places and things are going. People are being productive. Actually, flexibility allows uh, for, which is a very important point, mental health, your well-being, your life balance. Because, you know, maybe you don't really have to be in the office from eight to five, which allows you, if you are a parent or if you have other things that you need to do and you need to work, shift your work schedule, or you don't need to be in the office like every day from that time, you can do focus work from wherever you are. And that brings the flexibility. What that flexibility also does is allows us to bring diversity into our industry because 
maybe there were people who were not able to keep up to that eight to five and they were therefore kind of excluded. Now we can include those. And one other thing is the use of technology, right? We've always had this technology. We could have always done these meetings with the videos and like, you know, collaborating across the world. Since the start of the pandemic, I've been so busy, but also it gave us like so many different opportunities because if you are doing all the meetings in person, it is very difficult to bring in a junior engineer. If it's a virtual meeting, then why wouldn't we ask the junior engineer to just listen in? So it is also the mentoring and like giving them the opportunity to learn. Of course, there are parts that are, we are missing and we need to understand that this is not the permanent solution. The solution will be a distributed environment. And that's what we are looking into in Jacob. So where we would have our offices as just like places for people to go for collaboration, to with people and also we are not saying that this is should be only like this it like only remote or only on the office it is a combination so if you are just doing your focus work from 8 till 11 you don't need to be in the office and but you have a meeting at noon you go into the office for that noon meeting and then do your work over there so that's i think with many tech companies were doing this right but like this is now what we are shifting to it's not just our industry. Many industries have discovered this, but it is a very well-needed thing. And we've done a survey among our company, and there were over 20,000 people join it. The one strong message that came out is people want flexibility. We have the opportunity to bring them flexibility. Why wouldn't we? Because that flexibility allows for developing their mental health. We want to invest in our people's work-life balance. Because we know that everybody is their best selves that way. That gives us opportunity to train the new talent in a different way and provide more opportunities. I am collaborating with people in UK, in Dubai, in Australia. It's just much easier because like everybody is like now adjusted to this. What we shouldn't do, Jared, in my opinion, is you know at the end of this whole situation, this is a pilot test that we would never be able to do. It would be such a loss for our industry. I know our company is not going to do it, but it will be such a loss for our industry if we were to just go back to the old ways. We need to understand that we are not going back to the old ways. If any companies decide to just go back to the old ways, the talent's going to go. You're going to leave. Because think about how attractive it is to have work-life balance. A lot of times when we grew up as engineers, work-life balance is something you had to put to the side in order to move forward. But to think that, you know, even for folks that don't have families, to think I can have a hobby because I don't have to commute four hours a day, it's interesting. If you're just doing your focus work, so you're being in cubicle, and, you know, the most of the time, the counter-argument is like, but there is the person that is sitting next to you. If you have a question, then you can ask, well, no, all these, like the 55,000 is sitting next to me. I mean, you know, there is a time difference and everything. But like you can just use MS Teams or Skype or whatever the messaging place or the communication uh, venue that you are using. We are using MS Teams, and I think it's fantastic. It is working fantastic. Well, Menzer, you specialize in earthquake engineering. Uh, there's a number of uh, listeners, some that are still in college or grad school. There are some that are more seasoned. But you know, if somebody said, what is earthquake engineering? What is it that you do? How would you explain that? Earthquake engineering is like, on its simplest phase is trying to design the structures or infrastructure that we design to provide life safety. 
And I think that's a quick, like the interesting part of it. I'm giving a practitioner's answer to this. It is basically designing the structure so that if then an earthquake, depending on where you live on the continent, and then not every place is seismically active, but if you're living in a seismically active place, earthquake engineers, it can be geotechnical earthquake engineers, structural earthquake engineer. We often work together to basically design the structures or infrastructures to resist earthquakes, the ground shaking. So that is the simplest way of answering that. What geotechnical earthquake engineers do and I do is, you know, in the seismically active areas, you would need to be able to understand how much shaking is going to hit that particular site. And there are ways of understanding this depending on the subsurface conditions, which vary significantly from one location to another. And in fact, it can even vary in a, under a footprint of a building. So first, you need to understand how those soil conditions are varying. Then you would need to understand at that location what type of ground motions you will expect, how, how that soil deposits that you have under your structure or infrastructure might amplify or de-amplify that shaking that you were predicting. And then the next question is, are there going to be any hazards due to that shaking? One of the hazards that is very commonly known is liquefaction, where the soil loses its strength and basically starts acting like a liquid when the ground shaking hits. If that happens, you know, just imagine you have a building that is sitting on soil. You are accounting for the soil to carry that, but then if the soil starts acting like a water, then you see the building tilting, sinking, and, you know, the soil moving away if there's a sloping condition. So in a very basic description, that's what the geotechnical earthquake engineers do. But of course, once you get these shaking, then you start to do soil structure interaction, how the structure and the foundation of the structure will react to those shaking given those soil parameters. Well done. I mean, I know that you could talk about that for hours, right? <laughs> Easily. It's like, this is what I do. Not just what I do. I really love doing geotechnical earthquake engineering. Yeah, I can tell you're passionate about it. I mean, we've talked several times and I think that what's moving to me is moving. I guess there's a geotechnical pun there. But what's moving to me is that as a kid, you had this experience with an earthquake and it literally changed the trajectory of your life. A lot of times people don't know what geotechnical engineers are. We don't know what we do and what we focus on. But um, your story is one that's it's captivating. I have one more thing to add to that. Seeing an earthquake and going through an earthquake is something. But in my career, I also had the opportunity to travel to Nepal after 2015 Nepal earthquake and to Mexico, central Mexico earthquake. In both cases, so earthquakes keep happening. But one thing to re we need to understand is earthquake engineering is still a very young field. So what we knew in 1999 is significantly different than what we know now in 2020. Every single earthquake teaches us something. I know we are getting like more and more technologically advanced. We have all these labs and the numerical models. There is no way that we can totally mimic the mother earth. Series of depositions, we are, our predictions are only as good as what we know now. But the earthquake engineering started very recently. Like we started talking about liquefaction in 1980s. Your building stock is built way before that. And in New York, it's one of the things, right? All these buildings are like the brownstones. They are very strong in one direction. They are not strong at all in the other direction. 
And, you know, the understanding of like how the seismicity affects different types of soil, different types of soil deposits, every single earthquake, that's why just teaches us something new, whether it is the basin effects so of before 1985, Mexico City earthquake. And I think this is a phenomenal example. We didn't know really about like how those like the deep basins affect the ground motions. And uh, Mexico City was devastated. It was just basically like the, on the ground. It was a big devastation, bigger than 1999 Quadrate earthquake, right? And in 2017, Central Mexico earthquake, you saw that they did learn from that. They built accordingly. They upgraded their seismic codes accordingly. And there were very few, like the damage compared to 1985 in Mexico City. Of course, earthquake characteristics are a little different. But the trend is the same. If they kept building as a way it was before, that would have been a much different scenario after that 2017. And that applies to everywhere. So like, we really need to still learn from them and keep improving that. And I think that is also the part of the earthquake engineering that keeps me very interested because every year we are advancing it. So like, it is not a steady just like the small advancements, there can be like real major advancements. So I worked with the NGA East group that is looking at these upgrading the attenuation motions for the Central and the North uh, Eastern America. Um, until now, all our codes were built on the predictions based on the California earthquakes because that's where we have the data, right? The code was based on the California, but the characteristics of the Central and Eastern North America is significantly different than the Western North America. The rock conditions are different. The types of motions that you will be pre expecting is different. So there are significant improvements that are still going on. I know that you're passionate about diversity and inclusion. Can you share a little bit about your involvement in the industry and perhaps even at your company to advance equity, inclusion, diversity within the profession? When we think about uh, diversity and inclusion, there is one code. It's a very generic code and maybe some people are tired of hearing it, but I'm a dancer, so I'm going to start with it. Diversity is being asked to go to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. So... It is really just like you going to the party is not enough. But the equity in that case, it comes is just like if you haven't had the dancing background and if you are a beginner, then somebody will come and help you so that you will be able to go on that stage to be able to dance. So that is like how they are interrelated to each other. In our company, we prefer saying inclusion and diversity because we understand that without inclusion, diversity does not really matter. So it doesn't really bring anything if you have a 95% diverse group in a room, but there is only one person leading the conversation and the others are not included. Like that doesn't bring the value of the diversity into your meeting. My whole passion actually did started with a little before DreamBig, but mainly by like the with DreamBig when people did ask me, it's like, so you didn't think you could not be one of these like decision makers when you see that they were all men and I didn't it is like how you strain your brain right it didn't occur to me until then and then they asked me so like nobody said like anything that would discourage you and I started thinking then I started realizing yes it was when I was in high school all the classmates were just like whenever I have higher grades and because I was in the science group so in Turkey they divide you as the social sciences and they had like the the STEM kind of area, knowledge, engineering, math. 
So I was in the science classes, so it's obviously a lot of males. And I would like have higher scores in the test than they are. And they would always say, you don't know these, you just memorize. You're just so good at memorizing. It is the whole idea of like, you are not actually smart. I mean, we understand that you are the top in the class. It's not because you are smart. It's because you can memorize, which should also be smart, right? I can memorize everything. It is like... Why not? But, and then when we were going into the university entrance exam, I remember that there is a history teacher. He really liked me a lot. And I might be his favorite student in the class, but like he was asking, so what are you going to go? Where are you going to do? And the thing that uh, everybody would answer is civil engineering because the civil engineers were the, the construction industry was the industry that lead Turkey. So everybody was very common to answer that way. So which I did too. And he's just like, but let's rethink about that. Like, how are you going to do that? He didn't ask any of the other guys. He just asked me. And I was a top student. I'm just like, well, I'm going to go to this. But he's just like, you're not going to be able to get into that school. I'm like, you didn't say those to them. And the stories continue. I just want to, like, let everyone know that it is, that I did not internalize this, obviously. Or maybe I did. And I just, like, buried it in deep. And it, was, it didn't come out until somebody really asked me, nobody did tell you that you can't be doing that. So university entrance exam is like, I think that's one of my favorite stories because it really shows how the stereotypes work. In Turkey, in order to go into the university, so you, there's 180 questions, 180 minutes. One, once a year, you, whatever you score, that you go. You don't apply to universities. It's just your score. So like, you know, there's no necessary. So it is a very important thing for just like, because like if you don't score well, then you lost a lot year in your life because you cannot go into the university or that's just like whatever you do in that 180 minutes is just like, depending on that. I'm a very girly girl. I love high heels. And then I believe I do better when I feel better. So when I was going to the exam and it was always the same when, whenever I had an exam, I would have my hair done, like I would have like makeup on. And yes, I was wearing high heels as I was walking to the, to the school to get on the exam. There was a guy and his father walking next to me and my mother. And then the father turns to his son and she's like, look at her. You disqualified her. You eliminated her easy. There are people like her getting into this exam. And like, I'm just like, what? Like, you don't even know me. You can hear him. You were there with your mom. It is like so interesting. He doesn't even know me just because the way that I look does to him pretends that I can't be smart or I can't score that. Well, I was in the first uh, top 1%. So the chances are I eliminated that guy. But I mean, it's just like this constantly goes on, right? And when I was doing my master's, one of my advisor asked me to go into his like room and it's about to time that I'm going to complete and everything. And he said like, you are one of my favorite students. It's just like, you are amazing. And if I were to open up a hotel in somewhere, I will put you into management. You don't know anything because you'll just figure it out. So like you make things happen and I know this, but people don't know it. And if you want to be looking like this and don't change yourself, you have to be twice or three times better than the person next to you. It's always going to be the case for you if you want to go with this. And I think one of the things that I am proud of is I did not change. I stay true to myself. The long story is like, because I know how important it is for people from my own experience to be their whole selves. I know how it feels 
to not to be accepted as who you are or to be judged based on how you look or where you're coming from or from your based on your accent and any of those things, which has nothing to do with my ability to do the work. Or maybe sometimes you are judged based on the type, the way that you do the work because you're coming from a different cultural background, not based on the outcome. So I know how much of a burden that it can be and how much of a loss it would be to lose all these people who wouldn't be the way that other people are. So like the decision makers or or the senior engineers are, right? And one thing that I really truly believe is when we are growing up, we are always told, treat everyone like the way you want to be treated. That is so wrong. That is just based on the assumption is that you, everyone wants to be like me. Everyone wants to be treated like me. Everyone is like me. No, nobody is like each other. We need to be able to understand to treat everyone like they want to be treated. It's just like what they need. That brings that inclusion and that brings that diversity without really understanding that we can't do this. And in geotechnical engineering, so I've been chairing the outreach and engagement committee and we've been focusing on bringing like more generational diversity into the profession, making sure that when we are having the conferences that there is an equal representation of females and the males and as session chairs at the panel attendees. And I think we've been improving a lot. Obviously, we have a long ways to go. Jacobs, though, I am the global uh, co-chair for an employee network that focuses on cultural inclusion and diversity, which is often overlooked. And this is an area that became one of my favorite topics over the course of like maybe the past year. It is interesting to really start understanding. And I didn't realize how much your culture and how much your ethnic background influences your daily perceptions. I'll just give them one example. Just think of a grasshopper. What is a grasshopper to you? A little bug that jumps around, right? Well, a grasshopper is a pet in China. A grasshopper is an appetizer in Thailand. Just like a simple way how culture influences how you perceive things. If we perceive a grasshopper so differently, just imagine what how our interpersonal behaviors, communication skills, and all of those are open to be misinterpreted. So it's really understanding and nowadays we talk about emotional intelligence, but now that we are becoming global, whether you work in a global company or not, we are working with people who are coming from different cultures. They might have different time references. They might have different way of working. They might have, which is very important, different way of forming trust. So if you not understand those and expect everyone to be like you and treat everyone like you want to be treated, you are just missing all those opportunities. On top of it, you're excluding some. You're making them not feel like they can be their authentic selves while they're at work, while they're in the professional organization, while they're contributing, and eventually we will lose them. I don't think we can afford to lose the diverse talent. We talked about a little bit before we hinted about the movie Dream Big. If you want to know more about Dream Big, Engineering Our World, there's a movie about it. So we won't give any spoilers. But what's your advice for how young people or people that are aspiring to be engineers or people that are aspiring to do something big in the planet? What's your advice to them? How can they dream big? Well, I think one of the great ways of dreaming big is getting into our industry. It is so amazing, Dred. I'm pretty sure you can talk to this too. You can contribute to changing New York City's skyline. You can 
bring clean water to people that are in need. You can make sure that 17,000 people won't die after an earthquake. So the impact that we do as an industry to the society is unbelievable. So if you want to dream big, if you want to make a change, this is a great place. But of course, getting into that, people might look different than you. It is very important to be able to stay true to yourself and to understand that there is a space for you in this industry, whether it is in any engineering or the STEM industry. So what we wanted to achieve with Dream Big was to really inspire the next generation to go and see themselves as a part of this STEM. And I want to actually change it to STEAM fields and engineering. Most of the time, people might feel like, oh, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not fit enough. There are not many people that look like me. And that's why we wanted to give those opportunities. I'm just like, there are a variety of people within this industry and they're doing better and better each year, but we will need them to be able to do even better. I always give like the three short advices. It starts with believing in yourself. And I know it is very difficult to believe in yourself because there are times that you can't. You just doubt yourself. It's called imposter syndrome. I have a big time. I feel like a failure every there is at least a couple times during a week that I would feel that way. It's just like I suffer from it, many people. So what is really important is to have some other person to believe in you when you can't believe in yourself. What I want to suggest for everyone, you should have a coach. You would have a certain series of mentors, but like it is not just a mentor. You should have sponsors, you should have coaches, and you should have mentors. And all these Three should be combined as you grow up in your profession. So really looking into finding those people is very important. And the second one is just like really aim high. Like, I mean, if you don't get there, you don't get there. But there is no way of like, why wouldn't you? Whenever I say my whatever I want to be, I've heard so many times just like answer. Like, I mean, don't you think it's a little bit out there? Yeah, it might be. But hey, what if I get it? Why not, right? <laughs> Why not? I'll just give one example and then I'll go up there. So it was around the time that I was graduating with my PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. I was doing the job interviews and they asked me, so what do you want to be like in the future? Who do you want to be like? And I said like, well, I don't know who I want to be like. I know what I don't want to be like. It's always my answer whenever they say like, what do you want to be like? I'm just like, I know what I don't want. I can tell you that. <laughs> what I want is limitless. One thing that it's just, I came to that realization the other day when I was interviewing, they asked, so like just the similar question, but he pushed on like for me to answer. And I said, I don't know if I'll ever get to, but I really want to be someone influential in this industry. I don't want to be just no one. I want to be able to go up to that stage, give the talk and like known in this profession and bring change to this profession. That was 2013 when I was graduating. I wouldn't have imagined Dream Big or I wouldn't have imagined like all the other things that I have done. And I said, like, you know, I go up on the stage just to give 15 minute presentations now, but I want to do more than that. I want to be on the stage in front of the whole group and everything. In the past three to four years, I don't know how many times I've done that. It is just like really setting the ideas of just like dream, dream big. I think it all starts there, dreaming big. We're going to take a quick pause. We'll be back. But men's are in our career factor safety end segment. Stick around.
Welcome back. It's time for our career factor of safety in segment. In geotechnical engineering, like with many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Menzer Pelevan, PE. Menzer, you've achieved so much success at such a young age, and you're serving in several leadership positions within the geotechnical engineering space. What advice would you give to our listeners out there? as far as being an aspiring leader in the field? How can they build secure into their careers and give themselves a factor of safety when considering this? It starts with saying yes and taking on the challenge rather than shying away. It also starts with knowing your personal brand. What is your personal brand? And it might be difficult for many to really understand that. I have an easy trick. So just start paying attention to the activities, what you're doing, which ones you have energy for, which ones you don't really have energy. The ones you have the energy for are the ones that really builds up on your personal brand and stay true to it. Try to like really work on it. Having mentors really help to stay, to keep you on check, but everything comes with sacrifice. So like how much you will, you're willing to sacrifice to build your personal brand and what you want to accomplish. And in order to be able to do that, if you are not really passionate about it, you're not going to be it. Main point is be yourself because you cannot be anybody else. You cannot follow the road of anybody else because then you wouldn't be unique and you wouldn't be bringing a change. Find ways where you can make the change. You can be the change. And I think then it just flourishes. So inspirational. Thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing the insights that you have. And we thank you for all that you do as an engineer and seriously what you do for the society. We really appreciate it. You shared some great information and advice for our listeners. How can our listeners find you? What's the best way for them to find you? They want to know more. So I'm building up the website, www.mentorpaidman.com, which will include all the previous talks that I gave and like the upcoming talks that I will be giving and some of the information about the projects that I work on, about Dream Big and about diversity and inclusion. So uh, look out for that. Also, you can find me on Twitter. It's M-N-Z-D-R is my Twitter account. And I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn. So it's Menzer Paid One. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode number nine, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to check out EMI's newest podcast, This Week in Civil Engineering, which can be found at twice.com. News. That's T W I C E dot news. And make sure to subscribe to the show to get your weekly updates. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.